You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Before I jump right into uh, the message, which is going to be a little bit of a shortened one today, um, I just wanted to let everybody know, I know that uh, a few people have asked me about the adoption run. So if you don't know, we do every year on National Adoption Day. Um, we kind of start the day before. At 3 p.m. on the 19th, we do a 24-hour run that is 125 miles long. And we split it up into 24 legs. They're an hour each. And they're usually around five to six miles. So it's not like a ridiculously fast pace. It's about 12-minute mile, which is a jog, but it's not ridiculously fast. So we've done this for uh, four years now. And really the first year, if you remember, Jessica ran 70 miles by herself without stopping um, in the middle of a snowstorm, which was brutal. And uh, ever since then, we've turned it into this relay where we encourage runners. And really, the whole idea is to raise awareness for adoption. And it's actually specifically in the United States is what we've been um, kind of purposed our niche to help raise adoption for. And so if you don't know, 125,000 plus kids right now in the U.S. are free to be adopted. Right now. They're not needing to go through any more court proceedings they are free to be adopted. Now, a lot of those kids are in difficult situations. Some are um, older kids that don't easily get adopted. Some are sibling groups, so it's hard for those to get adopted. A lot of them actually might have special needs of some sort. Again, hard for them to get adopted. And, and actually, the, st- the statistic is in foster care alone, 90 kids every day age out of that program or out of the idea of ever being adopted. They turn 18, and foster care immediately releases them. And the statistics of what happens after that are terrible. Um, But 125,000 kids. So we've done this idea of let's run 125 miles to, you know, just really bring awareness to the 125,000 number. And if you've been around our church family at all for a while, you'll probably meet at least more than one person that's been in foster care, that's adopted kids. We have a lot of great families in here who have adopted kids. Now, I often get the question, about foster care and adoption, and I just, I always say this, listen, it is not an easy thing to sign up for. It's not at all. In fact, I would say the problem is that our system is very, very broken. Now, we have met some incredible people in our foster care system, even within our county, and we love them, and actually a lot of them are running. Some of them listen to our messages on Sunday. We, I love people, but I'm just being honest, the system sucks. It's broken. It, and, and I always say this, this is what happens when you give government the church's job. Because the truth is the church, as I read to Madison as she was about to be baptized, true religion is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. We should be a church, a group of people that is known for taking in those who won't be taken in by anybody else. You know, I often, uh, you know, it's it's such a, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's an, it's an odd thing to adopt children because often we spend time in like the choosing process of adoption. And that's why we have all these kids that age out because they're, they're either difficult kids, they've had too much trauma, they're getting older, there's too, they're too big of sibling groups. And so people don't take them. And I always say things like this, man, I'm glad Jesus doesn't do that to us. Because I'll tell you what, 
in terms of humanity and uh, God's children, I'm probably one with high special needs. I'm probably not the most adoptable person because of the brokenness of who I am. Jesus somehow opens his family to every single one of us. And I love that when we do foster care, when we adopt kids um, that maybe are even really difficult, that we model really what the king's heart is, what God's heart is over his people. So listen, um, even if you're not going to adopt a child, you can run five miles, right? Listen, I did it one year. And I don't run. I, I am like a rhinoceros when it comes to running. You ever watched a rhinoceros run? It's not pretty at all. And what happened was we were kind of not quite the middle of the night, but it was from Helena to North Lawrence. And I was like begging people, just show up. You know, I had like 20 runners on the next leg, but nobody running that leg. And so me and uh, my wonderful, wonderful friend Mark Miller were driving, following everybody for 24 hours. And I looked over to Mark, I go, Looks like we're running. He goes, I'm not running. I'm like, if I'm running, you're running. <laughs> so what we did, because we, we couldn't even run five miles, is I would run a mile, and then I would come to the car, and I'd be like, you're the next mile. <laughs> I tell you what, my feet killed me the entire rest of the night. I, I don't know why my wife does that for enjoyment. But anyway, um, if you run at all, we would love for you to sign up. We have a bunch of legs that are not filled yet. You can do that online. You can find it under our events. You can find it on Jessica's website or uh, Facebook. We'd love for you to sign up. You can also buy merchandise until 12 well, actually, I shouldn't say till 12 a.m. tonight because I will go to bed before that. Let's just say 10 p.m. tonight. If you put your, mer if you order merchandise for that, I'm going to place the order before 10 p.m. tonight. Um, but we're looking forward to that in two weeks. So also, again, you know, Ted reiterated the partner party. If you consider this your home church, be here this Friday night. It's really an incredible time, 6 to 8 p.m. Um, you don't have to do anything wildly specific to be able to come to that. We don't check your cards at the door or anything like that. Just show up if you believe this is your home church. We'd love to have you with us. All right, I got seven minutes. You ready? So I, I'm going to get derailed a lot this today. Did you know that there's like different speeds you can listen to podcasts on? Or, or books? Anybody listen to audiobooks? And then they have like these speeds. What the heck is that? It's so strange. I'm like, how do you actually consume any information? But when I get to like seven minutes, that's when I'm like, I need to ramp this up to two speed. And uh, I'm going to have this high-pitched voice as I talk to you today. No, I'm not going to go long, actually. I just want to reiterate the idea of what we're here for and what we're doing today and why we did baptisms and really why we gather on Sundays. There's, there's an overarching reality to the fact of why the church exists, and that's because we want to follow Jesus. It's not just because we want to be a part of another religion or we want to fulfill a bunch of duties or regulations. It's not even simply because we want to make it to heaven one day, which is just a broken thought if that's the only picture we have of following Christ. It's because we know that God has something incredible for every one of us, that he has plans and purposes for every one of us, and that when the world and life and circumstances keeps us from God, we end up living a life we were not supposed to live. 
And we go through, I mean, you see this through so many people's lives. Maybe even they'll get to 50, 55 years old, and they start going, what did I do with my life? And we, we, we call it midlife crisis. And I always believe that's just simply a symptom of the fact that we were designed for purpose and designed for great things to know the God of this universe. But when we ignore that or when we maybe are disconnected from that or when circumstances keep us from that, we end up living a life we were not called to live. And so baptism and following Jesus in this moment of someone declaring, saying, listen, this old person's going to wash away and a new person's going to come up, that's what the declaration moment's about. It's saying, listen, I no longer want to live just a life like everyone else lives. I want to now live the life that God has for me. And so I want to start with the scripture in Matthew 16. We've been reading out of Matthew 16 nearly every week um, when it comes to the kingdom and the, the series we've been doing. But I'm going to jump further down into the chapter in verse 24. And it's, this is Jesus speaking. He says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Now let's stop for a second. He says this scripture, and we read it 2,000 years later, and we're like, oh, it's so spiritual. To them, he hasn't died on the cross yet. Like, think about this. Why is he saying, pick up your cross? Now, they understood the, uh, the symbolism of it, probably, because they, they knew what Roman crucifixions looked like. But we read it kind of in a past tense, like, oh, thanks, Jesus, for picking up that cross like you did and dragging it up to Golgotha Hill and, and dying on it for us. But when he's saying it to the disciples in this moment, it, that has not yet occurred. And so they're going to be hearing it kind of like, what? Like, pick up your cross? What are you talking about? Wait a second. I think this might have been a moment where they're like, wait, this Christianity thing's taking a turn for the worse. Like, following Jesus, wait a second. And they're realizing that it's not just following Jesus in life, but this is what's a little bit of a, a, an interesting thing in Christianity. It's also following Jesus into death. And we look at death in really a really bad way. I mean, truth is, it is bad. You know, this makes me think about my aunt. My aunt Kathy, um, she's dying right now. Uh, I got a text an hour ago in the middle of worship. My mom said, we just rushed to the hospital. The doctor said, any minute. And I've been with her almost every day this last week. And honestly, as, she, as she's just wasting away because she can't eat and she can hardly breathe and her body is barely a resemblance of who she was. And I look at that, and I've driven away multiple moments, and, and those moments always put me in perspective to be reminded this isn't the way it was supposed to end. And we know, for those of us who love Jesus and have received this grace of his gift, we, it's not the end. It's the beginning for us. But the body, even that we see failing in front of our eyes when someone is like this, it wasn't supposed to end even like that. This is a result of the brokenness of our world, of the curse, you know, that we see back in Genesis 3. And it wasn't really supposed to end in this way, but it's a reminder, I believe, to every one of us, when we see someone pass away or, or these kind of end-of-life moments take place, that God is far bigger than even the years we live here on our life. 
And that God's doing something far larger than even the 80-some years or 90 years that we get to breathe on this earth at this moment. And I'm just reminded of these kinds of scriptures that, that talk about death. And even when we talk about baptism, we're going to read out of Romans, where Paul admonishes and reminds them that baptism is a following of Jesus into his death. And in fact, it was kind of a required thing because this is, what's, this is the problem. The world has put on us things that need to die. There's, there's, there's a side of us as humanity that's been so broken for so long, the only way to get to the new person that Jesus has for us is to kill the old one. And baptism is actually this representation, it says in Romans 6, that, that we follow Jesus into death as we follow into the waters of baptism. That as we literally dunk someone in this water, and it's a representation, a symbolic moment of this old person dying, the truth is, it's the part of us that we ought to get rid of. And so there's this, there's almost needs to be this kind of struggle and tension in, in, in literally grabbing hold of the death that Jesus requires of us. Now, it's not the death I'm talking about that I see my aunt going through, that we've seen so many loved ones go through, because that's, that reminds us of the death that was never supposed to take place. But when we grasp hold of the death that is good for us, the part that Jesus says, listen, now let me strip this old person away from you, this one who's lied to you, who's, who's even betrayed you, who's made you into something you were not supposed to be. Let me strip this person away from you so you can be something new. That's something to celebrate but it's also hard. It's painful. It's difficult. And it's why Jesus uses these words, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, which, man, I'll just, I love that word selfish. Because it is the description of all sin and separation from God. It really is. It just means when I think about myself more than I want to think about God or myself more than I want to think about others, when I think I know better than God knows, when I think I know better than everything else around me. And we, we end up being very selfish beings because, right, we all are. You know, I've made jokes about this many times past, but what do you think about the first thing when you get up in the morning? What do I have to do? What do I look like? Is this makeup look good on me? Do these pants look good on me? Do I smell good? Are people going to notice I'm wearing the same clothes I wore yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> we think about ourselves 99% of the time. And sometimes insecurity brings it so harshly into our world that even when we walk into a crowd, we tend to think everyone else is thinking about me too. But guess what? They're just thinking about themselves too. And Jesus says that you've got to give up this, this selfish way of life. You've got to literally pick up your cross and follow me. And then he goes on to explain a little more in verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my, my sake, you will save it. And Christianity is this tension place where, where there's this life that, that maybe we've created. And, and it's not all bad or anything. You know, the truth is often just the, the hardest struggle is when we have good things that Jesus is maybe like, hey, let go of that. But we cling to it. And he says if you cling to it, you end up losing it. But if you give it up, you gain it. And I think so often we spend our lives 
clinging to a life that Jesus just wants us to drown, <laughs> that Jesus wants us to die to. And I, I want to read this, this next scripture in Galatians. Oh, no, we're actually going to skip that part. Oh, you don't have notes, so you don't even know what I'm looking at. Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 5. This is after Jesus is raised from the dead. It's after the resurrection has taken place. And this moment happens where these, the women are there and they're actually speaking to Jesus. And this is what happens. It says, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Uh, this is actually in front of, um, in front of the angels that, that we believe were there. And it says, then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed and the hands of sinful men must be crucified and that he would be, rise again on the third day? And then they remembered. So I want to stop there. I love this question that these angels who are at the tomb as, the, as you know, Mary and Martha had come running, or Mary and, and the others had come running, and then the disciples show up a little bit later, and they're looking for Jesus in the tomb. And I love the question that's kind of given to them from the angels. It says, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. And I, I kind of want to end today on this theme to you as Christians, and to even those who just went through the waters of baptism, that it's really easy for us to come back out of the waters of baptism or to receive Jesus in our life, and guess where we go back to live? The tomb. It's like we've lived in that tomb so long in our life, and we come to Jesus, and we see this bright moment, and we go through baptism, and we're like, oh, Jesus is wonderful, but I'm just so used to that bed in the tomb. And we go and lay back down in it. And maybe we come out every so often, maybe every seven days for an hour and a half on Sunday. And we come out and we remind, oh, Jesus is alive and he's wonderful and it's great. But Monday, man, I'm living in that tomb. And I think sometimes as Christians, we do this back and forth thing of Christianity, which is I'm saved, I'm, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, I, I've been baptized, I have new life, but man, I just keep clinging a little bit to that old tomb. And we end up finding ourselves resting there. Maybe it's just comfortable, maybe it's just what we've known. Maybe we just keep listening to the same whispered lies. Maybe stuff just keeps pulling us back and circumstances keep pushing us back in the tomb. But the reality is I love that this question proposes, why are you looking for something that, among the dead that is alive? And if you are an alive person in Christ, don't be living among the dead. You know, I think we do this to ourselves all the time in, in funny ways. It's like I, some of the most scared people in life that I've met love horror movies. I'm like, I don't get it. Stop watching movies that make you think at every turn someone's going to kill you or lure you into a sewer. I don't even, especially with Halloween now, right? It's like, it's like every movie, it's like, oh, Jerry, let's see if new movies are on. It's like horror, 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 funny Horror, horror, action. Okay, let's pick the action movie. 
And then we're like, why are we so afraid in life? Stop watching scary things. Or it's like, man, I'm just so sad. I'm going to play that sad song 15 times. It makes me feel so sad. Stop living amongst the dead. We do this to ourselves in funny ways, but we do it in life in different ways where we, we yes, we've received Christ, and I'm not saying that necessarily we're going to lose our salvation over it, but man, don't live in the tomb waiting for heaven. Don't go back to the place of the dead when God has called you alive. And sometimes what I really believe it takes in Christianity is some radical actions. If you feel like there's this thing that's just clung to you that maybe has anchored you, you know, I talked about the Gadarenes man a couple weeks ago and how he was chained. And he was all chained up and naked in the cemetery. If you feel like some chains are keeping you in the cemetery, do something radical to get rid of them. If you find yourself down the same road because these friends just kind of keep pulling you in it, I'm sorry, get rid of the friends for a while. If you find yourself sucked into places on the internet you shouldn't be, get rid of the internet. You know, Jesus makes this statement um, when, when these people are talking to him about lust and about things, and he says, well, have you tried, and this is my paraphrase, have you tried gouging out your eye? Now listen, don't gouge out your eye. But he's talking in this hyperbolistic language because he says, do something drastic to change. And sometimes you have to do something drastic to leave that tomb so far in the rearview mirror you can't get back there. And so even though you've received the gift of grace, even though you've gone through baptism, I think these angels that, that ask this question, it's kind of asking of us today, don't live in the cemetery where you came back to life from. Do something in your life that maybe moves you out of that. Because I think sometimes we get really disillusioned in Christianity because we don't see all the things that maybe God has spoken or promised and Jesus is just waiting for us to leave the darn cemetery. He's like, yeah, I've got them. They're just over here. <laughs> They're not in there. There's no life in that dead place. So stop looking for something that's alive in a place that is dead. Romans 6, I want to read to you real quick. We're going to end on this note today. And this is Paul, and he's writing, and he's talking about sinning. He's just talking about, he's going to be talking about baptism. And he says, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, sometimes I think we come to Jesus and we, we think that everything is like this perfect equation formula. I went through baptism, everything's going to be wonderful. You want to know what happened after Jesus' baptism? Anybody remember? Wilderness, 40 days, no food, devil. It wasn't pretty. 
I think sometimes we think that everything's going to be perfect, and, and Paul is writing, so that you may live new lives. It's not that it isn't available. It's that sometimes we don't actually pursue the new life. That we don't actually shed the, the tomb in the graveyard in the cemetery place of our life and run for the new. We end up living there and then we're like, oh, why do I keep doing these same things? Why do I keep living in the same way? Why do I keep having the same thoughts? It's like the prayer I had over Joyce at the end. Break the darn record. Stop listening to the bad song. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And this is a really important part. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Listen, sin, as I've explained many times, is simply any ways that we live not in the image and likeness of God. It's when we, we have chosen to live in a way that he has not designed us to live, when we miss the mark. And so when we think about it in this way, anytime we're not living in the way that God has designed us, we're sinning. And so it's saying, you are no longer a slave to living that way. In fact, you have a, a, a whole opportunity for a new life, and it says this, so that sin might lose its power. You see, living in that old way did have power over us. But this is where we come to Jesus we receive the gift, which is his defeating of that power. We celebrate it in the waters of baptism, and now it no longer has power over us. But again, I'm going back to this. Sometimes we just still live in the cemetery. You see, Jesus does all the work. We just have to move. He does all of the, the payment, all of the redeeming, all of the clothing and righteousness. He does all of the, the planning for your future. He does all of that, and he's just simply saying, you just, but you just got to move. You got you to pick up those belongings, and you got to move out of that cemetery. And then you will find the place that God has prepared for you. A life and a purpose beyond anything you can possibly think or imagine. But too often we live in the cemetery. Let's stand this morning. And I want to admonish you, if you're listening this morning, if you're watching this morning, and something is stirring in you, like I would said before, if your heart's beating out of your chest, listen, everything can change in a moment. And right now, wherever you are, whatever moments you're living in, you can make a decision to say, Jesus, first, I want the gift that gets me out of the tomb. You can say it in any way you want. Jesus, I receive your gift of grace. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I don't want to do it my own way. Any of those words work. It's simply a heart change. It's a decision to say, Jesus, I want to go after you and no longer my own way. And once we've received the gift of grace to get out of the tomb, this is what I want to pray for us today. Now you make the decision to keep going. To not live there anymore. I think I, I, I've met so many people that they come out of the tomb and then they set up camp right there and, and they, they, almost, they don't even set it looking out of the cemetery. They set it looking back at what was. And they stare at this tomb, and that's all they can seem to focus and think about. Well, this is how it was, and 
this is what happened, and this is how life was so difficult. And I just want to say, don't stop looking at it. God's got something out there. And so I want to pray for you today that if you're in this room or if you're watching online, that you make that decision first to come out of the tomb, but then also to keep moving. To come out of the waters of baptism, but also to keep moving. And maybe for some of us who've been in this a long time, 10, 20, 30 years, you've, you've gone through salvation, you, you've received the waters of baptism, but maybe you just got to the entrance of that graveyard, or maybe you came back to visit for some reason. I'm going to pray God says, let's turn around. Let's go the way I have for you. And I be- I'm believing for freedom in immeasurable ways today over our lives. Freedom from the past, freedom from death, freedom from all the things that the enemy has lied to us about. Can we do that together? So let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for what you've accomplished. God, we thank you for what you did on the cross, Jesus. We thank you for the price that you paid to redeem us. God, we thank you for the price you paid to defeat sin so that we could come out of that tomb. But God, I ask today that if there's some of us maybe listening or watching or in this room, that we could whisper that prayer now out loud that would say, Jesus, I want out of the tomb. Jesus, I want to follow you. But God, I pray right now that even for those who have come out of the tomb, God, that we would keep moving. God, I ask right now that somehow you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to move beyond the grave, to move beyond the cemetery, God, and to move into everything you've called us to live, look, and be like. God, I pray right now for hope to be dispensed over every mind in this place. God, that hope would cloud out the lies of the enemy and that your goodness would be known inside us. God, I pray for every person watching online right now that you would touch them in their homes or wherever they're at to know that the God of this universe cares so deeply about them. And Father God, even collectively as a church today, as people who want to follow you, God, we shift our eyes to you and we move away from the grave and the tomb together. God, we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Listen, again, if you made decisions today um, in any way, I I really want to start imploring you. Tell someone, tell the staff, tell the person at the welcome room, tell the person you came with. Write it on that card. We want to know, we want to pray for you, and we want to stand with you. So we'll talk again soon. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.